Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Learning Grounds podcast. My name is Zach Chase. This is a special edition of the Learning Grounds podcast. It is the first time we have a repeat guest, uh, Mr. Bud Hunt. And Darren Hudgens and I sat down. We Bud and I were up in Portland for a conference and Darren met us. This is our second also pub, pubcast. Uh, Bud was the first pubcast as well. So there is a trend that is forming. Fantastic conversation, um, complete with like background noise and diner music. It's really it's a it's a radio play of sorts. We talked about everything uh, from design challenges for learning to situated learning to how do you help teachers uh, become learners or remain learners. And uh, then we talked about English education and and how we can get people interested in books and how we can keep that curiosity moving. It was a really fun conversation. I, I should note that when we start the conversation, we are midway through, as we've already started, and uh, Darren has made a mention of a man named Oliver Herring, H-E-R-R-I-N-G, and the Task Party uh, movement, and you can find out more about that at taskparty.org. Really fun conversation with Darren and Bud. Love any chance I get to sit down with either or both of these guys. Hope you enjoy it, too. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Learning Grounds. So they put a box in and it's a problem in the community or just a problem or like a task? Different different um, cities have done different things. Okay. Um, some it was uh, just anybody can show up. We got a capacity and it's this large. Some it's, they tried to do it with uh, comedians and they tried to make it, you know, an event. Uh-huh. Uh, some it was with teacher groups. And it's, again, whatever's in the box is the only materials you get to use. You don't get to pull out anything from the... Outside again, you could tweak the rules. What's like? What's in the box? Again, toilet paper, tape. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's the typical stuff that people want to recycle. You know, newspapers, bottles. Yeah. Yeah, um, But like I said, as this thing has evolved, people have brought in. Oh, we have a bunch of paints, and we could bring this. We have scissors, and we we have top hats. And we have microphones, and I mean, you could bring in tech if that was something that was, you know, so they to add to it. Could a task be something like working with student teachers? It's constantly like classroom management, classroom sure. management, classroom management. Yeah. Could a task would be like, how do I get a good structure of classroom management in my classroom? Absolutely. And then would you still envision there being like a box that has newspaper, bottles, toilet paper, and like, that's the an original. That's, like, yeah, that's the original form of it. And how could you manifest that into um, sort of a visual answer to your task right. question? Um, like using these, how do we yeah. think about it? So it is. It's um, uh, uh, Robinson was divergent thinking. And is this the like two thousand uses for a paperclip kind of yeah. dealy? Yeah. Like, it, it, how could you use this roll of toilet paper to solve classroom management problems? Yeah, well, it's des- I mean, it's design thinking in a way, right? right. Like, yeah. like, hey, there's a thing. Hey, there's these people. They have this problem. What are you gonna do about it? Right. Um, here are some materials that we have. I-, I think you can, depending on the problem you're trying to solve, the materials limitations can be help or hindrance, right? Right, but I like the idea of using materials that are not necessarily inherent to the space to try to come up with the solution Oliver, to the problem. Oliver Hearing was the one that came up with collaborative, creativity, contemporary. And it's called task Alliteration party. means it's a good idea. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I learned. <laughs> the three C's. Yeah. yeah. School Arts Magazine, Art Toilet, you know, so I think 
I think it, this originally was play on creativity, but also the play thing. Like, yeah, so, right. what can we build? What can we do together as a group and make it a fun event? Um, well, know, maybe not too different than a mystery party. Well, how, well, how do we have fun around something that matters, yeah. right? Like, like it's, it's a. It's in part a prop, right? Yeah. Like, okay, we have some toilet paper rolls. Great, let's solve homelessness. Right, well, okay, that's not going to happen. But hey, we'll, we'll figure it out. Right. Well, and it, it reminds me um, a few years ago, Educon's Friday night panel was about innovation. Yeah. And it was Matt. I can't remember his last name. Um, but one of the executive, like, original executive directors of Creative Commons, and everybody was talking about. Like, Working in developing nations, the most innovation happens because you've got these five things that you can build right, to solve the problem. Um, so I like the idea of the restrictive structure and putting teachers in a room and saying, what's your problem? Okay, here are five random artifacts. Do something to, to make it. How, how are you going to solve this problem? Well, I mean, it's future problem solving for those of us who did that. And there's all sorts of connections with you have a limited amount of resources in your classroom right. Right, to work with. You have a limited amount of knowledge if you're a new teacher, right? Because, I mean, you the just wealth of experience, context, whatever. Right. Um, and then the other part was Gieber, totally, you had in San Francisco. I mean, I spent some time in his workshop, and he gave them a limited amount of resources right. to build the kayak. Right. And they would start to build some things, and he would let them, you know, struggle with it, and then he would go back in, and he would say, hey, you need this, right. and here's why you need this. And then they would start to try to do it, and then he, and then he would show them, okay, your technique will work, and some of our kids have done this. Uh -huh. However, we found out it failed, right. and here's the reason why, so you've got to do it this way. You know, and, and, and again... Which is, a, which is a good mix of the, of the, of the, the thing about learning that I think is really important is this, this process of discovery, right? Yep. Like, it means something when you have to figure it out, but sometimes you don't need to figure everything out, right. and you need a master to say, or an expert to say, right. well, that's an interesting idea, yep. but all the children drowned. When we did it that way, yeah. right? So, oh, well, and we don't want anyone to took off yeah, too much yeah, water. And, you know, <laughs> wouldn't you like not to kill people? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, well, and that's that's that that constant tension between like knowledge and skills, right? Like, well, yeah, yes, you could do that. Yeah. Mathematicians in the 14th century determined that you know this was how it sort of worked. So let's talk about what they figured out. Right. right. Oh, okay, go back to it. Um, I, I wonder though if because. Wow, a longer time ago than I had realized until I started this sentence. I was trained in like the KIPP cooperative learning, or Kagan cooperative learning strategies. And one of the pieces that they talk about is teaching the strategy free of content first. Um, so that the students aren't trying to worry about like, oh wait, what are the math facts I'm trying to learn while I also learn think they share? Yeah. Um, and I think it would be interesting to keep that in mind at the same time. Like maybe the first problem you solve has nothing to do with education or your classroom or whatever. Like it is just a future problem solving is kind of like here's a random thing, here are five things in a box. Take care of it. Phase two is alright, now that you've gotten a little bit used to this kind of thinking, right. we're gonna apply it to a problem that matters to you. We're gonna we're gonna add the content. Yeah. Right. Um, and maybe that is a necessary step as well because Otherwise, you're so close, right? Because all you're doing is thinking, I need this to work. I, I sure. specifically need this to work. Well, and you have to go deeper. I mean, you brought up the tissue, uh, you know, the toilet paper roll. 
I mean, a strategy is yell at the kids, shut up. You know, I mean, like, that's a strategy. It's, right. We would all agree that that's right. the best one. Not but the yes, best it one, is a but it works. Look, we gave you a megaphone. Right. And I mean, oh, you made it work. You, you took what you had. You made the resource happen. But So how do you get... Yeah, but that... But it, but if you're not dealing with an education issue, then the toilet paper roll can be something else, right? Sure. Because sure. there's that lived experience of, I get stressed when I'm trying to manage a classroom. Oh, thank you. You're right. I do need a bullhorn when, <laughs> when I'm talking to my class. That could be fun. We've been doing a lot of team building around. We're doing some visioning for our next five-year plan for technology implementation. We got a mill. We got some money. We're trying to figure some stuff out. And it, this conversation makes me think about. It. Well, we'll see. But the way we're trying to structure it, and, and the folks I work with are really smart about that, is we're trying to actually have easy problems first. Because part of the mm-hmm. the situation we're thinking, like the way you're talking about, is not necessarily the outcome of the problem so much as learning how to talk to one another about how we solve a problem together. Right. So the structure has been like, let's solve some really solvable problems. And right. by the way, here's a possible solution. And so instead of starting from, there is a thing, good luck. Right. And you start with, here's a thing and here are some outcomes and here are some ideas and here's a menu of choices. Um, and then gradually taking away the menu of choices so that that becomes the thing that we figure out. Uh, and, and that's that's hard to do with grown-ups. But it's also something that isn't done. Right. Well, no. Um, I did a... It's hard. It takes time. Well, yeah, it is hard, and it does take time. Well, and there's no time. The main thing, right. Like, everything needs to get done yesterday. Yeah, sure. Because we're failing children. Sure. And adults. And the country and the environment and everything is just horrible. So please let us fail them faster. Yeah. Um, but we, I had a, I did an episode yesterday and I was talking to a guy named Ken Libby. Um, and I said, if you had your druthers, what's the thing you would do? What's the thing you would what? What's the thing you'd do? Like, if you had the resources of the Gates Foundation, uh, what, what would you do move to do? And he said I, he would um, move toward adopting a community and saying, let's work, let's focus this community on this community rather than let's find these universal answers to these incredibly localized problems. And the thing that struck me about that was that that seemed like a good idea so long as the first thing you did was say, what do you need done? Right? Like, on purpose. Yeah. And, and, and we don't do that very well. well we, um, I think we've lost, absolutely 100% lost as a teacher and as a student what the purpose of school is. And I've talked about that. I don't think we ever agreed on what the purpose nope. of schooling was. No. I, think no. That, I don't think we've lost it. I, I, think I, we missed, just, that, I missed that meeting. I don't no, think sure. anybody no, was ever I on the same page on that. A, I think there was a prevailing win, we'll call it that, that if I wanted to have a better job in a factory, I needed to have an understanding of a basic set of skills, and then the law, you know, the on down the line. I needed to be able to efficiently come to school under a timeline. I needed to do all the, and people were somewhat accepted of that because there was no 
that, that's what their dad did or their mom did or that's what their family did unless you're on the farm but that's and that's my point though I think that we thought that everybody was preparing themselves for the factory not everybody was right like there are schools in agricultural communities who are sure. never preparing you for a factory sure. and you were gonna do something else then there were schools um, in the like super industrialized Northeast yeah they were never preparing kids for either the factory or the farm but we're like you were going to be a lawyer. You going like and, sure. and so those are completely different set well, of skills. That, no, and and that's true. and that's assuming that they were saying this. Like, but they were also like they were saying like a job. Right. But there were also schools that were saying, all right, and here's how you interact with like here's how you're a gentleman. Sure. Here's yeah, how you're exactly, a lady. Exactly. Right. Etiquette. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's from a pretty white perspective, right? Sure. Like, and so there were other schools where the teachers were not telling you to do that right. because you probably didn't have a chance at a lot of the jobs right. that the other schools were preparing the kids for. Right. So I, I don't know that we, but, I feel but like don't you, ever had but that. Don't you, but don't, there was still the illusion. I mean, you're, you're talking about reality. I'm talking about the illusion or delusion of people going to school. I'm going to school because this is what I'm told to do and I need a right. general base of information. And if I get that general information, I will get a job. And then if I get a job, then I will have my family. And now it's like with whatever, the internets, mm -hmm. you know, the, the opportunity to get your own information is changing, you know, as quick as it possibly can. And so now people are saying, well, I don't, do I need to go to school? There, well, what am I getting there? The teachers are saying, you all say that we're terrible and, you know, you're not supporting us. You're not, uh, you know, again, I'm making broad right. brush here, but it, what are we doing here? What's our point? What, what are we supposed to do? We got to teach the test, but then there's a new initiative that comes through, and then before that, it's this initiative, and then we got to write with certain colored chalk, and then we got to right. do this, and then and that's going to fix this, we'll fix that, which will fix this, and the kids are still saying, "Why am I coming to school?" Because they don't. I which mean, is, we we which, asked that, didn't we? I don't think that's new, though. It isn't new. Well, no, it's not. I mean, the the, the, like, the, the churn is the job, right? The churn, the yeah. constant, what is our purpose, is part of the thing, right? Like, yeah. if you're an agent in your own life, you have to ask, why am I here? What am I doing? And it would be nice if a grown-up or two would say, well, I don't know, I've struggled with that, too, and here's what sure. I think. And, and that like that churn is the work. But we, we keep looking at it as something to finish with so that we can get on with the thing we want to do. Right. I think it's much more interesting to actually say this is this is the work. And so we should probably come up with at least a tentative answer and aim after that for a while and then ask the question. But if we were if, if our goal was we're gonna teach you how to think. Right. Right? That's, I mean that's a pretty we, we want you to be a thinking human being or we want you to now what that thinking is like you said, depends on your might be your influence, it might be your capacities, it might, I mean, you can go down the line of what all these different things could be. When I, when I, when I drive down the road, there's a, somewhat of a structure there. I could, I could still drive 200 miles an hour, or I could still drive on the left side of the road, won't be safe. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's cookie cutter, it needs to be black and white. I just, I guess my only point is that there has to be some kind of a vision and it can't just be STEM, or it can't just be, uh, you know, you need to understand all the all the works of, um, you know, Shakespeare or something. I mean, that, and then you're then you're satisfied. I had lots of kids that would say, "How come nobody taught me 
that, you know, even stuff that I would teach them Blooms, or I would teach them Maslow, or I would teach right. them, the, like, how come we never talked about this ever? I don't, now it makes sense to me why I maybe look at things a certain way, and I, I get myself a little bit better, and then I could go to school right. better, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, uh, terrible way of describing it, but I mean, that was... I, I observed a student uh, teacher the other day, and they were reading um, an editorial, yeah. and there was a graphic organizer that had been, like, was used in the school, and so they were using this, and so we were debriefing afterward, and... You know, it's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, it's really shit, I've never sat down to read the newspaper and pulled out a graphic organizer. <laughs> and here's why you and I get along yeah, so well. I'm sorry, carry on. <laughs> the first question out of my mind was, or out of my mouth was, so when you read an editorial, <laughs> are you filling out a chart? Right. And not like, and I said that in a way that was snarkier than I meant. But yeah. it, I, and so then we got to have a conversation of when I'm in the classroom, my goal is to help these students become readers and writers, and to do it in ways that I know that people read and write. I said. I don't think it's wrong that they're thinking about the, the labels that are on that chart. Never. But that's not what people do. And I think that's a conversation we're too scared to have. Mm. I think testing is a component of that, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I get the why of testing. Like right. I, get, I get the idea of accountability, right? People are giving us millions of dollars and saying we're entrusting you with the next generation of the country. We'd like to know that it's going to be okay How's that going before you <laughs> before you cut them free, right? Like, <laughs> right. yeah. Nobody, nobody in the in, in the investment industry says, "I'll give you 13 years, yeah. and then I'll check back the next time." Yeah. Have you looked at Facebook? Actually, well, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's Ed Moto's financial. Yeah. 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 But even those 13 years, is a lot yeah, all right. Oh. Um, so I, I get that component of it, um, but we're doing the things that we measure. Yeah, we are, and we always have. And now it's become more important to do the things that we measure. Because um, we're measuring more and we're paying closer attention to what we get. Right. And the small percentage of school funding that it comes from the federal government has now become in, connected to that. Very well way. leveraged. Yeah. Yes, very yes. well leveraged. I, Fascinating way. The, so our state STEM coordinator was at our, you mentioned STEM. Oh, boy. And she was at a meeting I was at last week. and I. I, I was interested to hear what she had to say. I'm noticing this real interesting sort of bifurcation of education right in our, in our state in terms of STEM and everything else. And when, I, and when I ask people to define STEM, which is something like I'm, I sit on a district committee and our task right now is define STEM education. That's actually a really hard task. Like, oh, well, science and technology and engineering. Oh, okay. But that's a really hard thing to do. And so I asked her, how do you define STEM? Oh, boy. And her answer was... <laughs> I like that you're that guy. Yeah, well, it, it got worse. And the, 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 question, the question was, uh, you know, how, when you say STEM, what do you mean? And she said, look, it's, it's authentic uh, learning experiences for kids. It's, it's interactions with the world. It's, it's, it's conversations with business and industry. I said, so you're saying that there's a time in school where that should happen for some kids, right? But there's all this other stuff that that should be inauthentic, right? And, 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 not and with, she said, not well, no, 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 that's not what world. I mean at all. I said, well, why is our state 
and I know it's not a Colorado thing, and I know there's financial pressures and external pressures, things, but why is why is our state perpetuating two systems of of, of learning, and then and then also, what are the assessments that we're going to use to measure the STEM? Because I noticed that we have a, a language arts and a math and a science and a social studies. We don't have a interactions with the world assessment, right? Like, and her response was, and I thought this was very candid and very frank and very troubling. Yeah. Uh, and, and I understood it, and I'm not attacking her. She said, basically, look, industry's asking us to do this, and they're paying, and they're paying for it. Yes. And I said, well, that's great. Why are we allowing that? <laughs> and then she said, oh, I'm out of time. I have to go. <laughs> well, and the better question is, so who pays for it when we do it? Right. After, like, after the fact, who's paying? Right. In a right, different right. Yeah, well, that, that would I, I liked your answer better. You know the answer I got in our state? That I'm, no. Again, broad brush, though, it's not the entire state. In the, in the area that I live, it's, it's finally time for science and math to call the shots of school because English and social studies have driven education since it started. Really? So we have? That's, the, uh, that's what I really? said. That's, that's what I, I said. I was not aware of the power I, I was, was wielding. Dumb. That, that Euclid, if he could hear that, would be really pissed. <laughs> yeah, he would. So it's a, it's a balancing of fairness, apparently. Oh, so, oh it's just their turn. Yeah, that's, what, that's, that's, that's the answer that we got. Yeah, that's awful. That's what I thought. <laughs> Does that work? Does that work? That's for what Rome? you got. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's your turn now. Oh, okay. Also, all the white kids will now sit in the back and have a step. No, never. Mind. No, wait. Oh, that doesn't work the same way. No, it's not the same. No, it's it's frustrating. Like it, it I, I think there's really interesting stuff in STEM. Educate. Mm. There's this excitement around like kids and and real problems and solving and like, that's a really good excitement right I don't get why we've separated that from like learning <laughs> well because and this this was the piece right because I was an English teacher at the Science Leadership Academy uh -huh. and the number of times people kids adults everybody oh there there are English classes at that school yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah really good ones as it turns out <laughs> they're kind of hard um but it was, and, and it's the, the method, right? And this is why STEM is running the shots, because this is what we want our kids to be able to do, is use the scientific method and solve problems in the ways that engineers are being asked. Like, we don't necessarily want everyone to be an engineer. I think there are probably a few people who think that would be a good idea. Yes. Uh, yeah, so, so, I'm but, sorry, go ahead. But I think we want that way of thinking right. to be modeled, mm -hmm. which is not divergent from the way English... No, majors uh, like attack a problem. Right, it's like we're looking as I'm as I'm doing my studies. It's like, oh, I'm being an idiot. So you, close reading is what you want me to do. You want to look at what's yeah. going on, yeah. and then ask some questions about why that's going on yes. and what might be influencing it. Okay, I've got it. But there's no real good way to say we want scientific method education. Right? Right. STEM is much sexier and easier to sell. Well, we're and you know that scientists, right? Because. Scientists have all the knowledge. Sure. Um, We're confused about the difference between content and methodology. Yes. And we don't. We seem. We seem to be quite content to separate those things. And and we've decided that in science, you you do a process, or in technology there's a process, or in math there's a process, which I find interesting because I've been in a lot of math classrooms where the process is do these thirty problems, right. and then and then you will understand math. Right. And that's not really a mathematical process at all. Like, like mathematicians don't sit around going, "I'll just do thirty new problems on this worksheet that, today." Totally, do repetition. It right, won't work. Like that, 
Jenkins, bring me my worksheet. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> that dude who figured out the 17 million digit long uh, prime number, like, there's not a worksheet no. for that. Like, and I, would, I wouldn't go, want to do it if there were. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it'd take a while. Um, he doesn't actually know the number. That's how, that's how sophisticated that math is. He doesn't know that. He knows the beginning digits, he knows the end digits, and there's 16.5 million in the middle. Um, I don't get why that's so separate, and it's frustrating. And, and the assessment driving right now, the conversation seems to be that, well, you need to know some stuff, and you need to have some skills with the stuff. The skills are really hard to measure, so we're just going to skip that. That's and we just assume that if you've got the, uh, the exactly content, that you'll have the skills. And that, it turns out that just does not work. My computer knows a lot of things. It can't read. It can't tie shoes yet. That's coming. I mean, we should all look out for that day. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to solve that, and I feel like really smart people are trying to solve it. And the best answer is that's a good thing to say on a podcast, right? Just shrug your shoulders in the air. Bud just threw his hands in the air. <laughs> yeah, subtext. But, that, but, that, but that's the, I think this takes it back to where we started. Yeah, because you're solving it using what happened to you, right? Like, okay. That's the only one that matters, And this sadly. is what we know about teachers, new te- novice teachers in the classroom. If they don't get mentoring, they start teaching like their science teacher taught or their math teacher taught. Because that's the context in the brain. That's all they got. Exactly. So this is where like, put a box in the room and say, no, these are the five things you get to use. Yep. Oh, standardized testing is not in it. Uh, how are you going to figure it out? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's incredibly difficult. One of my teachers was in a staff meeting, and, and there was a lot of ruckus that went on about uh, understanding. Yep. And, and, oh, no, it wasn't in a staff meeting. Somebody from the district came to observe. And they, they, one of the objectives was, like, students will understand X. Yes. And the person from the district was like, this is not on my word. Like, these are not words that are on the sheet that the district has approved. So how do you know if they've understood something? Well, that is the most ridiculous answer I've ever heard. Like, we don't want kids to understand things because we can't test whether kids have understood no. things. It's a really interesting question, though. How do we know? Like, um, I'm working with a study team on uh, reading comprehension in the early grades. How do you know that a child understands what they've read? Right. You can't measure metacognition unless what? they're able to express it in some way. You're like, well, it's obvious, bud. You have them answer three questions. Okay, good. They've been able to pick factual information out of the passage. They really understand what they've read. And the, the more this research team digs into this question, like when they started working on it, I was like, all right, come on. It's not that big of a deal. Every month they come back and be like, so if a child actually, we don't know what the child has experienced. Oh, sorry. We don't understand what the child has experienced beyond us. Right. So yeah. we're not even sure what's going on in their head. Like, like we know that they can read the words right. and say them, but, but we don't know what they having the brain about the words and then and then they can tell us something but we're not even sure if what they're telling us is in response to what they've read yeah. or what they've read from us and expect expecting yeah. what they've like, it's, a, it's a phenomenally interesting question yeah and an incredibly complicated thing to, to attempt to answer the concern though was that this person from the district was saying we're not going to put that as a thing we're trying to do right because it's hard because it's hard to do so I was working with a group of teachers in Kenya and we were using a version of understanding by design as a framework for how do you backward plan it. And I'm, I don't know if this is because I added it, SLA added it, and I came to like it, or it was inherent in UBD. I'm not entirely certain, but like students will understand is one of the phase one questions you ask. 
and I had never had this argument before, let alone having the argument cross-culturally. Sure. And there was, there was a guy who was just a great teacher, had been along with me every step of the way up to that point, but he said, you cannot find out if a, te- if a student has understood something. Like, you sure. cannot check for understanding. Right. And I said, I agree it's difficult, and I agree that you're never necessarily going to get to it. But I, we can't leave it by the wayside is the thing that well, we no, want. You know, just try, you know, skip it. Right. Wow. Or, 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 or say we're not even going to look for it, we're just going to hope it happens. Yeah. Because we don't know what it looks like exactly. Um, it's, the, it's the electrons, right? It's the... It's in the you know what I'm talking about? Like the electron is able to be in two places at once. Yes. Well, those are yeah. We so much particles. Right. You're talking yeah. like quarks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The same idea of like under like but we still believe they're there. Right. I yes. can't see it here and I can't see it here, but it's in both places. So I'm gonna go ahead and believe it. Yeah. I think understanding is that subatomic particle. Of, uh, well, but it, and this is this is where the scientific idea actually holds some water. I'm going to believe it's there for a little while, but then I'm going to check again. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to check again. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to check again. It might change. It might tweak. Yeah. And it might alter. And I'm going, to, I'm going to doubt myself a little bit, but I'm going to keep checking. And I'm never going to be quite right, but I'm going to keep checking. And, right. and it sounds like what I'm saying is, so let's test the bejesus out of the children. That's not what I mean. You, no, you check in a bunch of different ways. On the you're talking curiosity is what you're talking have well, you yeah. have an interest in curiosity, skepticism, skepticism, I, I, I mean, a bunch I think, of those things. Well, I think a healthy teacher-student relationship is the teacher constantly wondering what the child is wondering sure. about. Like, that's sure. a really good thing for a teacher to spend a great deal of their time doing. Like, Well, you I'm, know that huh. parents, good parents are doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of my favorite questions to ask of a teacher I've just observed. What were the kids curious about in that lesson? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, you should find out. You yeah. should, that Thanks should for playing. Because it looked like Facebook and YouTube. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably not good. Um, but that was that's Eleanor Duckworth, uh, The Having of Wonderful Ideas, which I think everyone should read. I would like to read that. Um, but it's her constant questioning and like, oh, how did you, what was the path you took to have that idea? And helping kids to process their thinking. Yeah, and we'll just say, like, tell me the story. Like, uh, and not guiding, yep. but literally coming at it what from happened? like, yeah. I was outside of your head. Yeah. Did you take me on the inside of your head and, and talk to me about how this good idea happened? A, a lot of the comprehension experts that, that this group I was talking about is, are reading are, are folks like Alan Keene who basically say that. Like, so the child answers your question, then ask them, so what? Right. It's like, be a petulant three-year-old. Right. <laughs> just, yeah. just like, so what? Why does that matter? Yeah. Why? I don't understand. Say more about that. Yes. Right? Like, it's, it's a really delightful, like, well, like, okay, the kid comprehends. Like, I bless you as comprehending, but I'm still a little more curious. What, what does that mean? Well, and it goes back to, like, how are you connecting that with, to, your, to your prior understanding of not just school knowledge, but how, like, so, okay, yeah. now you're going back to your house. What how do does it do with that? Yeah, how does this affect you there? Oh, you hadn't thought about that. Okay, that's cool. I'm not going to tell you you need to, but that's helpful for me to realize oh, I taught you a thing that you don't see is connected to the world you live <laughs> yeah, in. Exactly. Maybe I can do that better. Rather than, oh, let me tell you the five ways this is connected to. <laughs> yes. Here are the four reasons why Hamlet is directly related. Right? It turns out your uncle, well, never mind. You never have to go home and talk to your uncle about. <laughs> But no physics teacher ever found success in saying, like, oh, here's why, here are the five ways there's a principle of, like, 
Newton's first law is, yeah. is important to you. <laughs> kids weren't like, oh, let me write this down. <laughs> Some kids were. I was probably that kid. But so I'm driving in snow yesterday. Right? Snow a lot. Kids that do school well. Right. You know what I mean? Kids that don't do school well do it. I, I think I think interesting people do it, right? Like, well, thank you very much. So I'm driving uh, in the snow, and I realize as I'm sitting there at the intersection, like, man, this stuff is slippery. And then, like, the voice of my eighth grade, uh, my eighth grade science teacher, Mr. Schmidt, who allowed us to listen to the first uh, inning of the first baseball game ever played in Colorado, by the way, oh. and then made us turn it off because it was time to get back to school. Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, he's the guy who taught us about friction, right, and why wheels spin. But if there were no friction, the cars would never go anywhere, right? And I'm, so I'm sitting there in this intersection watching cars spin out going, I'm so glad for friction and I wish we had more of it. <laughs> And I'm like, wait a minute. Well, yeah, that's the interesting thing also about my use of physics as the example, is that, like, all of it is relevant to the mystery of how your universe holds itself together. But you can't get there by telling people, here are the five ways this is helping your universe hold together. Unless they're curious about it. And, right, and I know I mentioned Dewey before, and... It wouldn't be a day in my life if I didn't mention Dewey. But like that's the the pieces. Like find out the kids' experience, find out what they're curious about, construct experiences for them to build on their prior experiences, and that leave them cur- more curious than you found them. Sure. Right. And telling them things doesn't tend to do that. We had a uh, economics professor, or he was a professor. At- the university, but he taught us high school economics, and I don't know how that all worked. And he was a, um, I think he was a Greek man, but okay. he wore a pinstripe suit every day. Nice. He, I mean, total, even though the godfather is Italian, it was like the stereotypical, like, everybody was scared to death of him, they thought we were mobs, you know those high school kids. I'm terrified of economics so, anyway. So, so, so no, and we were. And so everybody had said, if you take economics, Mr. Gecko knows everything, right? He knows all, and, and he's going to give you a country. And you have to know everything about that country's <laughs> economics. And you're going to stand up in front of the class, and on your day that's assigned, you're going to spout out a bunch of information. And I remember to this day I had Egypt. <laughs> And Did you get I that one right? Studied, you got yeah, it pretty good. I studied and studied and studied to try to know everything. And then after we did it, he basically went off on all the things that we, you know, didn't talk about. Uh-huh. And what you else you needed to know about Egyptian economics. Right. Of course, I hated economics because of that. And, and by the way, not only did I present on that day, but I had to listen to everybody else do it for the next month. And a half. Right. Right. In the class. When all you had been focused on was not like, oh, what do I wonder about these exactly. other countries? Yeah. But it's like, I got mine done. Yeah. I can so, sleep with my eyes open for a while. So then I had to take it in college, and of course I hated it. But then I had to teach it one year. And I, it was handed to me, like whether I didn't. And of course then I had to learn it inside now because I'm, you know, going to show it. And... I had this one teacher who had been doing it for a long time, and he had built it into, you know, the the, the stock market game, right? Or the, you know, these different, um, uh, what were they called? The, the the guide to solving economic mysteries, and they would throw out this weird thing, like, um, remember the, the the chicken glasses? 
chicken glasses. Did you ever hear about those? They used to put these blinders on chickens. They were, they were these glasses. They were little red things. Because no. apparently chickens, when they see red, are more docile. And it would allow them to... It was, it was cool. Farmers did this. And it was big economic reason, but you you would be presented this. Like, why in the world would they be doing this? Right. And then you had to try to solve this mystery using these set of guys. So, I got this thing, and then I start getting into it, and, and now, like, you're talking about with physics. Once you understand it, you realize that, like, economics is in everything. Right. I mean, like, like if you know the basic of economics, you right there understand thinking a lot, or, you know, like, like right. what you do and why you do it and all that. And I'm thinking, we waited until my senior year to do economics. Never, I mean, yeah, we did change or whatever, you know what I mean? The, the typical count coins. But you never put the two and two together. I mean, I didn't understand even the most basic scarcity and the demand and the, you know, law of diminishing returns, I mean, which is the basic things. I'm going to get into the, the deeper stuff. And it's it just... It, it's amazing when you, when you get the curiosity, when you understand it, you get the curiosity, you start to see it everywhere, and everything that you do, what what might happen, how much it changes your, like you said, you were talking about friction, and I see it everywhere. And yeah, I just, I can't, I can't, can't not stop. think about yeah. it, and, and I don't understand it all, but I... I made my book club read a book on the periodic table last year. My wife was mad because she's like, well, here are these great literary works that we can read. And I was like, you guys want to read a book about the periodic table? It's kind of interesting. And the book club was like, yes, please. So when I moved to Philly and started teaching, um, all of the books that were on the syllabus were books I had never read. Oh. Um, And pretty, like, classic texts. Like, I'd never read The Odyssey. I'd never read Lord of the Flies. And so... I'm, and I got there four and a half weeks into the year. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks very yeah, much. Take care. Um, and and so I'm a chapter ahead in every class. Yeah. I'm reading the night before. Like, oh, this is yeah. what's going on with Piggy. I've been there. Um, <laughs> and I loved Lord of the Flies. And I was loving the Odyssey. And then I would go in and the kids would be like, do we have to read this? Yeah. And, it, and it, it was the first true moment of... Oh, I'm in a place where I can be susceptible to this book in a way that is like, oh, I have been on quite a bit of an odyssey in my life. Like, there's some there's some lived experience that makes this better, and that like maybe uh, oh, who Lord of the Flies is who? Golding. Golding. Maybe Golding wasn't writing a book. That he thought, oh, all tenth graders should read this. You know, like oh, maybe he was writing a book, thinking, I'm, a, I need to write this, and I hope people who need to read it read it. Mm-hmm. Right? Not, oh, this should be universally taught to everyone in a in a geographic location. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was his intent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to write the tenth grade American novel. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. The whole American novel, a little more difficult. Oh, I we'll, think do, I can we'll do something with a stick in the bottom, and there we go. I've got I've gotten the attention of all the tenth graders. I think I could probably. Fully capture the attention of the 10th graders. This is a little Lord of the Flies joke. No, that was nice. I got it. Sadly, we did, which means we all share a canon in a literary experience. Uh, Mine mine came on mine a lot later, though, Uh, just because I never read it when I was in school. I read To Kill a Mockingbird when I was 28 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Right before I quit uh, teaching, actually. I was reading it for fun. I never taught it, and I read it as a 28-year-old, and I was like, this is an amazing book. If I'd had to read it when I was 14... It would have been horrible. Right. Well, I it would have been it up again when I was reading, when I was teaching, because I had read it before and I was teaching it again. And I thought, well, I should probably read it again so I just can 
be aware of some of the finer points. Yeah. And it was all of a sudden, oh, I, I don't know that I think this is terribly well written. Like, yeah. <laughs> like oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I should still teach this book. Like, I yeah. get that it is a great book and that kids love it, but I don't know that I like the writing so much in this book. <laughs> like, but I'm going to make you read it. <laughs> anyway. Because you're supposed to read this book. Yeah, it's on the... Um, I, I made kids read Othello. Uh-huh. And, and the reason why I did was because I thought Iago was such a perfect example of like what happens when you go nuts. And, mm-hmm. and, and Othello was this great example of being angry. Like, like it's just... It, and that was the way we got into the language. Uh-huh. Was So you're, you're mad at your boss. Right. How do you get even with it, right? Yeah. And our kids get great answers, great answers. Well, here's how Iago did it. Right. <laughs> he convinced his boss that his wife was fooling around on him. You guys don't want to read this, do you? We should... Okay, we can read this Maybe book. we should... Have, yeah. Hunt, yeah, I mean, it's pretty important. Well, so then what he did... <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's a line in how hard you should have to work to make that... Yeah. Happen, right? Because yeah. if after that, your students were like, I'd rather not. At some point, yeah, you say, okay, well, let's read some This isn't the right yeah. thing for you right now. Perhaps we'll read a book about a happy family right. that doesn't have any issues. Because when I will talk to people about this, they'll say, well, like, but a really good teacher can make a kid be interested in anything. And they're like, well, then they're probably interested in the other story you're telling more than they're interested in the book that they're reading. Like, and I did that in the classroom, right? I was like, oh, I can make this interesting. Yes. You just wait. I'll sell it to you. Right. Yes. But there's a certain point where you're like, oh, I'm not going to try so hard to sell this to you anymore. Well, grown-ups make decisions about what books to read and what not to read. Right. Children should probably get an opportunity to practice that. Whenever I talk to teachers about the ALA Reader's Bill of Rights, they're oh, so excited. And and then they then they look at it, and I will be in front of them while they are looking at it. And one of the rights is the right not to read. And this is just... Well, what if they never read? What if they never read? Do you... Well, if you give them the choice not to read, they'll probably read again. But if you tell them they have to read, they'll probably stop reading. Like, were you not 12 at some point? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's not how you interacted with adults, because I'm pretty sure it's how I interacted with adults. Um, And you're kidding yourself if you think they are reading. Um, No, well, all of them. Not... Some of them are clearly going to be reading. Those are the ones the other ones say. <laughs> you answer the questions. Yeah, how'd it go? <laughs> I notice your hand is up. So this piggy kid. <laughs> Not great? <laughs> what about the one who went into the... Oh. <laughs> what, do we think, what do we think about Ralph? How are we doing? Good? All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop recording I things. Because we just made each other laugh, and I feel yes. like that's a good place to start. Giggles are good. Thank you for listening to Learning Grounds. I'm Zach Chase. Our intro and outro music comes from New Dance Boys' Mission, and it's called Intro. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. Learning Grounds is also licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. I dare you to say it three times fast. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.